Thanks anybody who is tuning in live. This is the SG Podcast, episode 67. I'm here with author and realtor Sean Kunkler. Really excited to have him on the show today. Sean, thanks again for coming on the show. Appreciate having your time. For sure. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. So, Sean, let's get started. Uh, I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about you, kind of what it is you're focused on, and and we'll get into the the background of how, how you got there as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, what do you want? Just kind of the big, the big overarching. Yeah. Well, why don't we start with telling the audience kind of you know who you are, what you do right now, and then uh, sure. and then I can do some some digger uh, deeper digging. That that's totally fair. So my primary focus as of right now, I am a full time realtor in San Francisco. Um, I authored a book, The Insider's Guide to Home Buying, and um, which we'll talk about, but I've really highly leveraged that into my marketing piece. And currently I'm in the process of launching uh, Solopreneur 180, which is because it really talks about all the, uh, the trials and tribulations of that. Got it. Very cool, Sean. So how long have you been a realtor for? And, and I'm interested to learn kind of how you got into the industry to begin with. That's just a great question. So I've so I, I've been in the game for four years, and as I was cutting my teeth and getting started, my first real estate transaction in San Francisco was for two point six seven million dollars, and uh, it definitely pushed me into an amazing direction right out of the gate. Awesome. And so, what brought you to that first deal to begin with? What or, or what were you doing before that? Uh, prior career before, before ever even getting my license. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of it's layered a little bit, but my my bread and butter has always been sales through and through, um, and it's been kind of stacked into other careers along the way. So I, I really had my first sales job per se. It was part time weekend thing when I was eighteen years old, and that's when I was like, oh my god, I love this. Um, but more recently and prior to, I was running martial arts schools and then I oh. got into, um, I was the membership director at a couple different gyms and through that, during that evolution, I just happened to serendipitously be working out at the same time as my good friend, Dean, who just happens to be a commercial agent. Hmm. And during our workouts, we would talk about real estate. And that's really when I first started to get the idea of it. Right. Now, when you were talking about real estate, were you kind of, you know, investing in it or or taking part in it already? Or was it just purely out of interest? And and like, was it clear from the beginning that this could be a potential career path? Or did it kind of manifest throughout those conversations as they went on? That is such a good question. I, I don't think it was linear. It wasn't kind of like this led to that and it was immediate. It mm-hmm. was it was a definitely a, uh, what is it, this, the saying, as a crow flies, it was, <laughs> it was not a straight line. So I had bought my first property in 2008. If we all remember, that was the gigantic crash. I bought it right prior to. Oh boy, I was, so my I, that was my next question, so, yeah. <laughs> as an investor, I was uh, spot on. Um, but his our conversations were he he was in commercial, but he would dabble in investing and developing property and selling them. So I was always curious and interested and intrigued in in that path. Um, but point blank, I, I became really good friends with him and 
I don't even know how we got on the subject. And, and one day he told me how much he made in his first year. Mm-hmm. And my jaw hit the floor. And it was a number that was so big that I went home that night and, and ordered the whole, like, get your <laughs> test, take your test online. I swear to God. Yeah. I was like, that's significant. So that's really when I, like, that was the tipping point. Got it. Um, but it was a culmination. And it's like, you know, when you hang out with your friend all the time and they're a positive friend, just virtue of osmosis, you kind of start picking up what they're throwing down. Absolutely. And I mean, that's one of the the many benefits of the old, you know, you are the average of the, you know, five closest people that you spend the most time with is if you're friends with or spending a lot of time with successful people, uh, it's it's ought to rub off on you, at least in one way or another it's, at some point. Uh, very cool, Sean. So that's like a pretty, pretty interesting shift, right? Going from what you were doing prior to studying and, and writing the real estate exam. Um, yeah. What was it like? Like, what were those few weeks like as you were studying, as you were making the shift in your head? Was it I'm going to become a full time real estate agent or was it, you know what, I'll take the test, I'll give it a try and and, and maybe kind of ease into it? That's it's interesting. My my path has never been linear. So during that time, I, I got the test. I was working full time, like 60 hours a week. And I honestly, I just didn't have time. Let me rephrase. I didn't make time. I didn't allocate time to study. And I have really good excuses of why I didn't. And during that time, I had met somebody else who was working on inventing and creating um, wireless headphones. And this was like just before Apple came out with theirs and before all the, the big players got to the scene. It was just like you just had beats. They were wired. It was that era. And uh, I wound up investing a decent amount of money and moving over and working for that company. And it just tanked, went sideways, lost all my money in that. And it was at that bottom point is when I decided to go full on into real estate and I took it seriously. I studied like it was a full-time job. And then the second I got my license, um, I was just there. I hit the ground running. Got it. And so you dropped everything else? Like once you got the license, it was like, no, no, <laughs> no there's another, another twist. So at I'm... that point I had lost all my money and now needed to rebuild my account. Mm-hmm. And I had my license. So I'm hustling, building up that business the the perfect timing it was my birthday um another friend of mine who owned a small boutique gym pinged me happy birthday and you know we traded a few few instant messages and she's like hey look i need somebody to come in here and and clean up the sales team can you are you available and i was like yeah i'm available so i i wound up going there for six months in order to build up my reserves before taking the full leap jeez Sean, it's been eight minutes and there's a clear theme of, of non-linear paths uh, already happening oh. here. Um, so, so I mean, yeah, so, so, so what happens next? Was that a six-month contract or was it it got to a point where she kind of got what she needed and you were ready to move on? And, and what brought on the, that first deal, that first real estate deal? Solid question as well. Um, so that path was the intention was full time. And 
the the intent was to basically build up their sales team. So for nine months prior to me getting there, they hadn't hit goal. They were um, the attrition rate was through the roof. They weren't it, it just things weren't clicking. The gym's awesome and everything uh, the the employees, the members, everything's on point. It was just no one was closing. Um, I got there the first month we hit goal and we consecutively either hit or exceeded it for every single month from the moment I got there, um, which I'm really proud of. And that's that's really the that's the core of my attitude that I took into real estate. And as soon as I had it, it was actually before I even had enough really saved to do it comfortably. I just decided to pull the trigger and go all in, gave my notice and went head on into into real estate. Um, I think it was interesting, even with all these paths, I know they sound really haphazard and aggressive <laughs> and just like a ping pong, but I do do my research and I try to strategically make the next best move. Right. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it's a slam dunk winner and, and I get to you know write home about it. Um, with, with real estate, what I did strategically is I figured out who's my ideal client, what price point do I want to be, what types of property, where do I want to sell them? And then I reverse engineered it and I figured out which brokerages were doing those transactions. And then within those brokerages, who were the players? Like who were those agents that I had to be around? Because to your point, you're the sum of your closest peer group, whomever they are. And I knew that I just had to get around the right players. And there was a, a woman in particular, Helena. I became good friends with her. She trusted me with her multi-million dollar listings. I held her opens. And virtue of being at the right place at the right time with the right attitude, I was able to secure, I secured that first transaction for 2.6. At the same property, I also met this other couple who I'm, I'm actually friends with all my clients. I met another couple and I think it was three weeks later, they had purchased the property for 1.8. Hmm. So I really was able to hit the ground running very aggressively. But to back up, I don't think there's any missteps in life. And I think all of the way, whenever we meander from one career to the next, we start, we stack skills and we take those with us. And when I was at the gym, it was actually, it was the way it was viewed and perceived in the marketplace was an it was a affluent athletic club or a modern modern day country club hmm. and within that we catered to the affluent clientele of san francisco so that job allowed me to just to be comfortable talking to e and c level executives all the time Right. High net, very high net worth individuals. And then within that, I built up my LinkedIn. And then within that, I built up my Facebook. And then I basically surrounded myself with those people. So when I moved into real estate, I, I was able to pull all of those pieces with me, in addition to knowing sales and having those various skill sets. Got it. And I do want to go much deeper into the real estate and, and how you kind of moved on from those first two big deals. But I don't yeah. want to gloss over the six to nine months you spent at the gym, Sean. What was it do you think that made you 
so good at sales to begin with, right? You said from that first part-time job at 18, it, it just kind of clicked, yeah. right? It, it, it was just, you know, it came to you naturally. So yeah. number one, I'm interested to hear about that. And then number two, why was the gym not able to succeed on their own? And then what did you do to improve upon it that resulted in those amazing uh, numbers? All solid questions. Um, so let's go back to when I was 18 and have my first sales shop. I, I do think, I've been asked this many of times and I, I'm, I struggle with it and I still don't have an answer. But the question been, that's been posed is, are some salespeople just naturals? I think there's natural qualities, but I also think sales is a perishable skill. And mm -hmm. I feel that most of the skills can be conditioned. You can learn them, but mm -hmm. it's going to take time. And when I was 18, um, my my now ex, but she was working at a motorcycle seat company. Hmm. That they, they made motorcycle seats for Harley Davidson's. And there was a an event called AmeriCade. And they basically needed people to help pack and unpack the truck. And I was like young and dumb at the time. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it for some money under the table. And we showed up the first day when the, when the tents all open and all these, these motorcycles are coming in. And I just had the, the basics from the president. The president was there, the VP was there. Um, I think four, four or five salespeople were there. Anyways, I just went out and did my thing. And it was two days of that. Sunday night, we were at dinner and it was like this huge lobster dinner and celebrating and the president stands up and gives the, the speech and thanks everybody for being there and he's like listen i'm just blown away and he's like i didn't expect this but let me run down who ha who would produce the top sales of the weekend and he was like very proud that he was number one but number two was me hmm. Followed by all the sales reps who were classically trained and like this, this 18 year old, I had no idea what I was doing. So that really just, I had many other different career paths along the way, but that planted something deeply inside my soul. That's so now cool. to fast forward mm -hmm. to at being at the gym, I'm a firm believer that 80% is just showing up, show up with the right ads, you know, 20% is is having the actual tools and the skills and everything else needed, but showing up with the right attitude. So when I when I got to the gym, their database was just kind of, it wasn't cleaned. And they had two places where they were keeping leads. I put everything together. And then I basically recruited, I recruited um, a few of my now friends, but Vanessa and Katie, who were running different departments in, in Stella. And with membership at a gym, once you sell the base membership, then you can sell all the ancillary, you can sell all the different fitness and things like that. So I recruited them to help me sell to help them sell. Mm -hmm. And I, I basically created a, a sub team to help get everybody excited. And, and in doing that, it just, it really just added rocket fuel to what they were already doing. I just kind of organized the system, gave them a follow-up, like this is what you do. These are the talking points. Here's what you say to people. Here are all the objection handlers and go have fun. I mean, the gym was, it's awesome. It's amazing. The product is, 
when the product is good and the price is easy, it's a slam dunk. You just have to, you just have to call people. Got it. And what would you say are some of the common mistakes or, you know, two or three of, of things that you think people don't do very well that, that you would recommend they do to improve their sales, whether it be at a gym, as a realtor, as a, you know, first time solopreneur or something like that. So for your audience, a solopreneur, I mean, if you're starting a business, the bottom line is your bottom line, period. I mean, if you're not making sales, you're not in business or you won't be for very long. You're going to get, you're just going to run out of revenue mm -hmm. and it happens super quick. And it's really important to be able to, it's not just sales, meaning it's not just a, tra a financial transaction, but sometimes you need to persuade somebody on your idea or your thought or to come check this out or whatever it is. You have to be able to or communicate a concept, an idea, a strategy with, with people, with, with your community ultimately. I think what people don't do enough of is I think it's just listen and mm. it's just listen because it's kind of like if, if you called up the doctor today, let's just pretend you can go in. It was, let's pretend it's three months ago and you can actually go to the doctor and all that, but you go into the doctor and you sit on the, the table with the crunchy cloth, uh, cr crunchy paper. And the doctor walks in and says, I got the perfect blue pill for you. It's going to change everything. And you're like, yeah, but I haven't told you what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that doesn't matter. It's going to fix it. It's going to be awesome. Let's just go for it. And that's what most salespeople do. They just start punching you in the face with this sale, but they haven't taken the minute to, to diagnose. And little things when you're just listen to what people are saying, like, oh, so you hurt your knee and that's why you're here. Tell me more about that. How did you hurt it? And it's, oh, I was running. So it sounds like empathetic statement. It sounds like when you were running, you hurt your knee. Is that correct? Yeah. And and people start, you're, you're being hurt. Mm -hmm. And then at that point you can start guiding them. Well, it's, you know, based on what you've told me over here, what I would recommend is this thing over here to give you this new result that you actually want. Does that sound like something that would help you? you know, like, you're you're understanding where people are at you're meeting them and then you're moving them forward right but if you don't know what their belief system is what their their strategy is what their end goal is and you're just trying to punch them in the face or bludgeon them into a sale it's never going to happen and yeah. i and i sadly i i think that's it happens more than not yeah it, it's really a great analogy because un until you Put it like that a lot of people don't realize i'll also quickly note it is it is april 29th so for those listening after the fact the reason we can't go to the doctor is we're in we're in the midst of covid uh just for people that Thanks might be me. listening <laughs> months uh, months down the road uh yeah it's, it's a great analogy sean i actually see a lot of that now on linkedin i'd be interested to hear if you get the same of people connecting with you on linkedin and don't get me wrong i get a lot of awesome connections on linkedin but I also get a good chunk of connections where even in the connection request, like they're already selling me something, right? And and, awful, it, right? and it may be totally irrelevant to anything in my profile. It's clearly copy-pasted, um, which is exhibit A of exactly what not to do. D do you experience the same? 100%. Um, 
on every platform out there, including email and phone calls. I just randomly got a text probably 45 minutes before we hopped on this, this call. Um, yeah, it's really unfortunate. And yeah, it's just, it, 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 it immediately turns us off. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, as a community, we love to buy. We love to buy. We hate to be sold. Mm-hmm. And as soon as our our spidey sense starts tingling, like as soon as they're they're going in for the the pitch, we shut down. Mm-hmm. And that's it's it just it, that's not the best strategy. And like I'm so often, my girlfriend jokes to me all the time because when somebody's like really bad at sales, I will just be like, "All right, look, this is where you lost it," mm-hmm. and I'll start. <laughs> breaking it down not to be malice but to actually help them of like like listen you really you went off the rails here like this is where you lost me and if you didn't do this you would have kept me and on the flip side i recently bought a car i know crazy enough right before covid (laughs) um and i dude i felt like a little kid like the sales rep was so good and just so polished that i was it's like watching your favorite athlete I was just so drawn in and so intrigued and so interested because the way he was able to frame the conversation and pace me and lead me, it was just, there. it was a masterful elegance. And lo and behold, there's a brand new car sitting in my garage. Right. Very cool. So, so Sean, let's go back to or forward to, in, in, from what we've covered so far, uh, you get your exam completed you get you get your license and it sounds like you kind of positioned or partnered yourself with someone who was very experienced and and in a good position kind of working with a good range of clients how did you do that because the way i got it so by day i'm an immigration lawyer and i actually started my practice very similarly in the sense that i got a very good opportunity to work with the father of a good friend of mine who was on his way out of the industry and basically willing to like hand over his practice. And I got to be, he basically mentored me and, and it was amazing. And I didn't even, I, I fell ass backwards into it. Right. I never intended for that to happen. It sounds like yours was a little bit more intentional. Can you walk us through that process of kind of like, would you call her a mentor or what was that relationship like? I call her a friend. Um, now, Mm-hmm. Um, I would say she's a mentor in some capacity. Um, so real, real estate agents, most people don't know this, but we're 1099. We're 100% self-employed. It's 100% commission-based. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a business. She's a business. We're all individual businesses. And we just hang our license. We have to hang our license with the brokerage. In my case, I just happened to be with Compass. At the time, I was with Paragon. So is she. Um, but I... You know, I did my research. I, I strategically figured out, as I shared, which companies were producing, went to work for that company. And then I figured out which agents were the heavy hitters. And, and by that, with, with real estate or with agents, if, if you're doing a volume of business, it gets cumbersome. There's only, mm-hmm. you can only work 80 hours a week for so many weeks before you start burning out. Mm-hmm. So. I knew she had a big book of business. And I knew at that time 
she only had one person on her team, which I then knew she just had a lot of overflow. And in her room, there's a lot of agents like that. And most agents will host open houses on the weekend. And it just happened to be that opening weekend, agents like to host their own properties. And I just kind of had a gut instinct that she was going to be there. And so I drove to the property. And as I was driving to the, actually, no, I'm trying to remember the, the chain of events. So I got to the property. I wore a suit. Like it was, it was the weekend I wasn't working. I wasn't meeting any clients, but I knew that first impressions matter. Mm-hmm. Be lined up to her, stuck out my hand, said, my name is Sean. I just wanted to come say hi, meet you and see your property. Wasn't going to waste her time. Walked around, saw the property, thanked her for her time, left. That was it. That was the literally the extent of our conversation. As realtors, we set up our open house signs, which I'm sure everybody's seen. Mm-hmm. I got home. I sent her a note. I said, thanks so much for your time. Really nice meeting you. Hey, FYI, the sign at the bottom of the hill blew over. I stood it back up for you. Hope your day's awesome. I mean, the sign may have or may have not have been blown over, but <laughs> it was the goodwill. Yeah. Um, and I got a really warm email back like, hey, thanks so much, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I, there's a really good book called The Like Switch. I highly recommend it. And it actually has a lot of this, these, this type of strategy in there. And then a few weeks later, she had a property pop up, pop up on Green Street, and I happened to have worked a few open houses on Green Street, and it happened to be a block away. So I pinged her, and I said, hey, it's Sean again. I noticed that you had this open house. Most open houses are on Saturday and Sunday. If you want me to do any pickup days for you to help expose the mark, expose the property or do more marketing for it, like let me know. I'd be happy to help. And I wound up hosting really obscure open house times but I would just, I, I really focused on just going way over the top and above and beyond. Like I would text her before I got to the property, which was 30 minutes early. And then I would set up the property. And if anything was off, like a light bulb was out, I'd be like, hey, light bulb, third floor is out. I ran to the store afterwards and replaced it for you. And just way over the top, like deliver and serve. And I, I picked up a few really crappy open house days or like, Thursday, three o'clock. Nobody wants to host those. Like everybody's working, they're, they're not effective. But I was able to prove myself, prove my performance, prove my attention to detail to her before ever like really going for the sale. And then eventually through that relationship, she's like, well, why don't you just open host Saturday, Sunday? And, and so I started picking up the, and those are game days. like. On multi-million dollar properties, agents don't want to give up those. Those are important to us. Mm -hmm. And I I was able to build enough of a relationship with her where she trusted me to just start hosting those. And and it wasn't just with her. Like my my breakout moment was because of her. But afterwards, I had developed relationships with a lot of agents. And then I was starting to pick up business just virtue of surrounding myself with all the right people who were successfully doing it. Got it. And I mean, there's so many lessons you could take from that, Sean, you know, working, you know, working above and beyond establishing relationships with people, right, all that stuff. 
how would you equate that to let's just say like a, another random service provider or you know any given solopreneur that's let's say they have an idea they want to start their business next week what would you recommend that they do or you know two or three pieces of advice even some that maybe just equate over from the story that you just told us again solid question if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting out i think your bread and butter somebody told me this years ago your your net worth is equal to your network surround yourself mm -hmm. with the right people and that unto itself is a sale and if you the one thing that I really do is I focus on the relationship first. The sale will come second. So if you, like I treated these agents with relationship first, the business will come second. If you come into my open house, I'm going to lead with relationship first, deliver value, and then business will come second. And, and, and because of that, I, thankfully i've been blessed with repeat business and many referrals and and that's where now i'm pivoting my business to is is really on the referral side so i would say to that entrepreneur starting out first of all you're not alone and you're not first there's something that's similar go find that person who's massively successful in doing it and go spend time with them and like sometimes it's as simple as hopping on a podcast like this and just if you can just find that one little nugget that one thing and go run and execute on that that's worth its weight in gold that's that's time well spent mm -hmm. so like burying your nose in a book anytime i'm in my car the radio is never on like ever ever it's podcasts audiobooks and the, the secret with that this is my this is the real secret <laughs> ready for this everybody <laughs> play everything at two times speed oh yeah and you can get through obviously twice as much and and all i'm looking for is that one nugget out of everything that i'm, I'm absorbing yeah it, it's such great advice i remember once probably about two years ago i was complaining about the price of a book and because some of them get expensive now you know like 20 30 40 bucks a book and a guy I was working with at the time was like, man, think of what it like what it could be worth to your business if you get one piece of information from that book. Um, so exactly like you're saying, whether it be a podcast uh, or, or anything like that. So that that's really great advice, uh, Sean. So let's talk a little bit about your book. At what point? So, so you've been working as a realtor for four years. What was it that you know, made you want to write a book and, and, and what was it like? Um, it's hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, so working these open houses, the first, the, the, the question that would always come up is how long have you been doing this? And I, that's an objection. It's, an objection is anytime you can spin it into a question and, and answer the question into a positive light, you've handled it. But I didn't have an answer. Like no one wanted to work with somebody. I've been doing it for three months. Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to cut it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, 
I lost a lot of sales. I lost a lot of transactions because I wasn't able, like having a conversation with somebody, they trusted the company, they trusted the product, the home, I didn't trust me. And they didn't trust that I had the knowledge or experience to facilitate a transaction, to help them through the process or to be able to help them to navigate around a problem. So like I lean into all of these books all the time, who writes books? people who are authorities on the topic. So I decided, well, the easiest way to become an authority on the topic is write the book. And I, I literally went home that night and I, I sat down and started writing. And then I just, I would allocate typically about two hours a day. I'd get up in the morning wow. and just write for two hours every, every day. It took me, it took me a good, I would say year to get it. I'm not, I'm not the best writer. Like it's, it was a slow and painful process. Um, but something magical really happened in that process is when I was at an open house and I would start talking to people before that question would come up, I would just hand them a copy of the book. And the, I noticed that it, it not only dissolved them, that question and inoculated it, it never Mm -hmm. came up. And, and instead, their their mind shifted to, well, how quickly can you help me? Mm-hmm. Instead of, are you qualified to help me? Um, and that was really, it was the pain of all that loss that really fueled me to to change my strategy and change it up. Got um, it. So wh- yeah, when, that, when do you think is the right time for someone to think about writing a book? Uh, and then how did you approach it, right? Once you got it into your head, okay, I'm going to write a book. How did you pick the topic? I went, I did my research on really first and foremost, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? At the end of the day, I needed to create a livelihood for myself and for my family. And to do that, I need to help people buy homes in order for me to get a commission check. And that was the problem. <laughs> so I started there and and within that, it was, well, what book would then give those people the comfort and confidence that I'm your agent? Like I'm the person who can deliver that for you. Okay. And And that's really where it started. And then it started with, I went to Amazon one day and I ordered probably 30 books of how to buy a home, how to invest in a home, um, do's and don'ts of buying a home, like everything and anything under the sun. And I read them and kept notes. And I just, what I did was I started pulling out the common threads of each of the books. All the books had common threads. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, those are the burning questions that people are really asking. Let me, in my own voice, create those answers and that's really that was kind of what what birthed the whole thing and then i on a secondary i realized i knew this book was for me it was a marketing tool and i wasn't creating this as a revenue driver so if you see the copy of the cover of my book i'm wearing these crazy socks Mm -hmm. and a portion of the proceeds of every book sold i donate to a a homeless shelter or an organization rather that gives uh, socks to homeless people because that's the the one item, one article of clothing that's under donated. Hmm. Very cool. 
and and very interesting kind of what what goes what goes into it sean i want to touch for a few the last few minutes of the show on on real estate yeah. itself so can can you talk a little bit about what people should consider i mean especially given the circumstances right now um but with let's say buying a house you know house apartment a condo whatever it may be yeah. What are some of the big struggles that you see most, especially like first-time home buyers, go through? And do you have any suggestions on how they can uh, overcome some of them? A hundred percent. I would say the two biggest things that first-time buyers specifically have outside of the financial piece is their mindset. They go into it thinking, this is going to be my forever home, and it's actually a for-now home. Hmm. And I find the ones who the, the clients who are very successful, they they go into it realizing that I'm probably only going to live there for four to seven years. And then I'm going to upgrade. I'm going to my family is going to grow where I'm going to start a family. I'm going to evolve. So I think shifting the mindset to a shorter time frame really helps. The other thing that I highly recommend because this is my relationship with my clients is like, let's not just look at this as a house, but this is your investment. And this mm-hmm. is probably going to be one of the most significant investments in your life. So one of the tips that was given to me that I share is buy your second home first. So buy, buy the home that you intend to rent or to leverage as an investment property, buy that one first hmm. and move into that more dream home and use that first home to actually generate some revenue for you. Um, other smart clients that I've seen is instead of buying that, oh, I, I you know, really need to have a single family home, I really need the yard, sacrificing some of the stuff that you just want now to get it later by buying a two or three unit building and living in one of the units, doing that first, building up some equity, and then either selling it or pulling the money back out of it and then buying that bigger home. I find those are good, solid strategies for building up a a faster base of wealth rather than just putting all your money into that big dream home right out of the gate. Got it. Yeah, those are those are really good points. I. I bought a condo for the first time in September and, and some of those things that you're talking about. Thank you. Uh, they really kind of hit home. We actually have a very fitting and interesting question from one, one of our live viewers who asks how he should be uh, uh, approaching and figuring out his budget for his first home. Like, so if, if we're talking about the numbers, about the finance, uh, how do you recommend that first time home buyers kind of approach that? That's a great question. I have three, three different directions. Um, one, find a financial advisor and mm-hmm. they're not, you can actually find them at reasonable prices. Um, I'm trying to remember simply, simply finance. Sarah is the woman's name. Um, but she has a very low flat rate strategy that can help you strategize your future down payment. That's the first piece. The other piece is I would talk to a bank and discuss with them. They would 
they want they want to win your business if not now in the future and they can help strategize what you can potentially afford on a mortgage side and then new york times actually put out a rent first buy calculator which mm -hmm. is awesome it's 100 percent free it's going to take you a minute to fill it out you might have to actually call your bank to get some of the like the percentage um, numbers and things like that and then that'll actually give you a very very robust breakdown um, but the budget is it's an intimate and personal thing and it's like where your threshold of comfort is for sure but yeah that's on the flip side just like business don't overextend yourself right yeah and the calculator it's a great suggestion i see that a lot i, I follow a few reddit real estate threads uh, or subreddits and the rent versus buy question comes up all the time and it's definitely worth even using a, a calculator that will take in more factors because it'll it'll just give you a better answer right it, it, it ultimately comes down to dollars which are numbers right so mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's more objective when we th uh, than we think we have one more follow-up uh, really interesting question as well what do you consider in terms of the trade-off between like quality of a of a piece of real estate versus location how should we approach kind of that dynamic quality versus it, it, location yeah so so let's say you know like the size or or you know how new or or you know we'll call it nice it's not a great word to use but how nice a property is versus uh you know being in a great location or how much of each should you sacrifice for the other that's a great question um that's a tricky question i would it depends on what what's the purpose to, to go back i always ask another question <laughs> and i can't <laughs> but I, I would go back and find out why are you buying it like what's what's the strategy if if it's going to be a rental property is the location going to hinder your ability to rent it or is it going to enhance it right. is it being close to the freeway going to be a negative or a positive the location i know we always hear location 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 it's definitely important, but it's, I would rather buy the lesser home on the nicer block than the nicest home on the block, because I can always do things to improve, improve the price of the home when I sell it in the future. Um, though you don't want to be in an area that's, that's not going to be that, that won't appreciate. So the things mm -hmm. that are nice about the home, um, which I know is a very, it's a broad, but one of the questions that I like to ask my clients is, if you like something or don't like something about a property, put it into one of two categories. Can I change it or is it fixed? And if it's something you can change, then you can then consider the, the better location and then look at those things that you don't necessarily like, but you can then improve them. If you're gonna live there for seven years, you can always repaint the walls. Like that's right. an easy project. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's that's a great answer and, and, and a good way to kind of approach things. Sean, I have kind of one last question, and I'm happy that I've had some help from the stream to uh, to make my job even easier. But what do you recommend people should do in terms of approaching real estate as investors right now? Right. So, again, I'll remind everyone it's it's April 29th. Right. We're in the midst of covid. There's a lot going on. Are, are you seeing this affect real estate investors and or is it affecting you if, if you yourself are a real estate investor or like what are you telling 
clients who are looking to buy or sell as investors? That's a great question. So each of the markets is as challenging and changes as much as it's like saying, what's what's the weather in North America today? <laughs> it's it's not possible. You can't just come up with one blanket answer. So each of the markets right. are very different. You have to do your homework. Um, within that, there's there's very different ways of making money. You can buy the flip, the 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 property that's in very poor condition that you want to fix up and and build it up during COVID. COVID, it's really challenging because in my area, they have deemed a lot of those workers as not essential. Mm -hmm. So you can buy the property, but now your carrying costs are going to go through the roof because you can't do any of the work. So it's tricky. There's properties that are just straight rentals. There's the um, the lower quality property that you approve to rent. There's the buy and sell, the buy and hold. There's many different options. But I think overall, what we're seeing, not across all markets, but on kind of like a high level, we're not seeing the market go down at this point. And in mm. actually some hyper-specific markets, we're actually seeing it go up and improve. Wow. Um, you really got to do your homework. You got to know where you're looking. Uh, but more importantly, you have to know what you're looking at. What's what's your goal? Um, the way that I started researching real estate, gosh, when I was about 20, is I wanted to get into rentals. I knew that with a conventional loan, which is a typical home loan, that goes from single family homes all the way up to four units, if you're going to occupy one of the units. So what I did was I called brokerages and I, I literally said to whoever answered the phone, who's the agent who does more transactions within the two to four unit buildings? I want to talk to them because I knew they knew what to look for. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of how I, I approached it. So I would say, do your research, do your homework. It's an investment. It's a long game. I think there's opportunities now, but you want to do your due diligence. But first, figure out what type of investment you want to make and what's your exit strategy and start researching that. Got it. That's great stuff. I, I do want to ask one more question because we had one come in and I think it's super sure. fitting for what we're talking about. Uh, this is coming from a live viewer, which is, can you talk about, so you did mention, you know, making improvements to a property. Can you talk about, in? I guess it, this is probably going to be partly an it depends answer, but what are some of the improvements you see people make to houses that can add the most in terms of property value? Or are there some that can like hurt it? You know, like kind of what are the best or, or what are some to avoid? That is a, actually, that's a fantastic question. So yeah, I tell my clients, so typically when, when I sell a property, we, in San Francisco, everybody expects it to be perfect. So I tell my clients, we have to make this Instagrammable <laughs> because somebody is going to want to come in and take a selfie with this in the background. So that's how we have to make it look. Right. So sometimes in selling a property, we'll invest twenty-five to a hundred thousand dollars to make it look the part. It's got to look awesome because in psychology, we know that everybody wants what everybody wants and nobody wants what nobody wants. Mm -hmm. So we have to create the draw. So if you invest your 
invest in updating and making the house look nice to your taste, you're probably going to limit the pool of buyers. So uh, more ideally, you want to stay with a neutral palette. You want to do things that are not shocking, but just more comfortable across a broader audience. The two biggest places to improve a property are the kitchen and the bathroom, period, exclamation point. If you're going to put money into it for a return, put it there. Hmm. But again, a caveat that with trying not to do things that are too dated in terms of timeline and do things that are going to be a little bit more neutral. What I recommend, so I actually recommended this to my um, my sister who lives in Connecticut, is get the designs or have a designer create the create the experience like show me the pictures as the agent and i will tell you what will sell in the future hmm. interesting it's a good like, approach run it through a few filters so this way you can do the improvement now live there for the next let's say five years and enjoy it and then sell it for that higher return but if you decide to paint the bathroom red and tile it in this crazy blue chances are it's not gonna it's not going to do what you wanted it to do on the back end. Got it. Makes total sense. Uh, Sean, this has been, this has been really awesome. I uh, really appreciate you having on, uh, have you coming on the show. If people want to learn more about your services or, or you or your book or the Solopreneur 180 that you mentioned, where can they find you? Oh my goodness. The interwebs, um, best place. <laughs> the, uh, for me personally, you can most find most everything on seancuckler.com. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I am on LinkedIn. Um, I actually enjoy, I've, I've been enjoying that platform a little bit more as of recently. Thanks for tagging me today. Oh, no, my, uh, I, I think it's underrated right now. I agree. I think for, especially for solopreneurs, go there because mm -hmm. it's, it's specific for business. And as we talked about earlier, it's really easy to find your community or people within your community doing that thing or something similar to you. Um, but you can also find me, I go on tangents of the other things. <laughs> <But laughs> they've you been, can find they've been good tangents thus far, I must say. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Instagram and Facebook um, are all good places to find me as well. And my book's on Amazon. You can just look it up by my name. It's the Insider's Guide to Home Buying, San Francisco edition. Awesome. And we'll have links to all those in the description. Sean, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Have a great evening, everybody. Or day, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> Hey everyone, Josh here, checking in just one last time. Wanted to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. And if you want to keep getting more of the Solopreneur Grind content, make sure to join the email list. What I do is send three emails a week with additional content, such as what's going on in the background of my Solopreneur journey, insights I'm having on business, and updates when new podcast episodes like these come out as well. It's free. It always will be. The link to join is in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening this to on. Really hope to have you on the list and continuing to share these awesome solopreneur journeys and insights with you as well. Have a great day and hope to see you soon.